Hey everybody, it's Jimmy Smith. Today on the NMA on SiriusXM podcast, I get a preview of Bellator 289 from Bellator analyst Josh the Punk Thompson on Unlocking the Cage. And on MMA Today, RJ Clifford and Angela Hill catch up with UFC middleweight Eric Anders to discuss his win at UFC Orlando. Every time out in the UFC this Saturday and how the card is a bit lackluster, I must say. Right? It's been through some difficulties, been taken apart once or twice, but something I'll remind you all of, that tomorrow, Friday, at the Mohegan Sun Arena, Uncasville, Connecticut, is an outstanding Bellator card that in many ways is better than what's on offer at pay-per-view for the UFC this weekend. To help us go over it, the punk himself, Josh Thompson. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. You know what? I love your intros. I love your energy. I love being on your show, man. You, you know, right? You bring it. You right? bring it, brother. You bring it. I love it. I love do it, it, bro. It's what I do, man. You know, been in this game long enough. That's exactly how it works. So, um, I got to say, man, Bellator Card's absolutely stacked. It's really fantastic. Yeah. I think it's better than than what's on offer for, for, for pay-per-view this weekend. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about is – Danny Sabatello's been on my, my, my show quite a few times. Uh, called his fights when he was with Titan here in South Florida. Take it on Rafael Stotts. Is it one of those, when, when, when you're doing media stuff and you're doing commentary and you're working the desk, it's so great having two guys where you just say, okay, guys, go. And they're going to give you the sound bites. They're going to give you the confrontation. They're going to give you the trash talk. It makes our job so much easier. Am I wrong? Absolutely. I mean, like realistically – you know, Bellator's been out there telling, and myself, I've been out there telling the media, hey, you guys need to start covering some of the, not just our promotion, but all the other promotions that are out there. Well, guess what? These two guys took it upon themselves to do a great job promoting themselves. They they brought the lights. They brought the camera. Now all that's left to do is to bring the action. That's all they got to do. They're going to go out there and just literally punch each other in the face, and we get to be sitting in front, just cage side, watching this all go down. And if you're at home, you get to watch it too. This is going to be a great, great fight. The trash talking that I thought was going to stop, though, leading up to this fight, I thought it was going to stop at the weigh-ins. It's still going down right now. And when I talked to both of them, they said, oh, no, you're, you're bet, you bet your ass I'm going to be telling them, oh, I got that takedown. Oh, you ain't getting up. Oh, how that elbow taste? <laughs> I am excited for this fight because these two guys legitimately do not like each other in, in terms of the fight game. It has not been a personal at all. It's been about that person's fighting style. Hasn't been about his family. Hasn't been about his religion. Hasn't been about anything else other than, hey, you suck, and I'm going to prove it. I can't wait. I can't wait. Is this a great example of and, and you and I have seen it a million times. And whenever there's a man, this wrestler's so good, wait till he gets to MMA. This kickboxer's so good, wait till he get, gets to MMA. This jujitsu guy, and I go, does he have that edge? Does he have that edge of I'm gonna be better than you? It, it, you can be technically really good, you can be that slick wrestler who beats everybody, NCAA champion, but fighting's not for you because you don't have that edge. These two guys, more than their skills. They have edge. They really believe they are better than anyone they step in with. How rare is that in your experience in the fight world, man? That edge that makes a great fighter. It's not just rare in the fight world. It's rare when you get to the top echelon of every single sport. And I'm going to be honest. There was moments in my career where I didn't believe. I didn't believe that I could beat that fighter. I didn't believe that I was good enough to be there. I didn't believe. And as I'm fighting, I'm like, oh, wow. 
I'll be this guy. Oh, wow. I, I'm, the things that I thought weren't going to land are landing. This is easier than I thought. And then you realize how good you are. These two guys, they understand how good they are. It's just going to come down to they've done so much trash talking. And if one of them can't implement their game plan, doesn't have a, sm- a snowball effect in their mentality of, I was supposed to get in these takedowns. I said, oh, his Division II wrestling was not anywhere near as good as my Big 12 wrestling, my Purdue wrestling. And he, if he doesn't get those takedowns, does that start negatively having an effect on his mental going on? Or does he stay to the grind, nose to the grind, like how John Fitch does in that Boilermaker type wrestling? Just, I don't care. I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming. If he does that, Danny Sabatello does that, I think he's going to have success, especially in the later rounds. If he puts the, puts the work in in the earlier rounds. And starts to slow stops down. But as thoughts start stuffing takedowns, does it become easier and easier to stop him? Does he start letting his hands fly a little bit more? Does he start finding the mark on Danny Sabatello's chin? Those are all questions to be answered. And I think to talk about all the trash talking is going to come to a head and one person is going to have a better, a better game plan and be able to implement their game plan better inside the cage. Uh, when I look at it, speaking of Josh the Punk Thompson, I have said this many, many times, and I always give you your credit, and I always quote you on this one. You told me about training with Fan- Frank Shamrock for Tito Ortiz, right? And you told me, you said he knew he couldn't stop Tito's takedown, but his yeah. his his goal was, I'm going to make him work so hard on top that he can't keep up with my fitness, he can't keep up with my wind. And I always tell people that. It isn't always about stopping the takedown. It's about never letting a guy relax on top. They're always fighting to keep you down. They're always fighting to advance position. And they're working harder than you are. Could that be an X factor in this? That the person who's taken down, it isn't just, oh, he took me down, I'm going to... It's making them work the whole time and seeing who has the better fitness. Is that part of it? Who can create these scrambling opportunities? Well... Look, Frank Shamrock was the first MMA fighter to weaponize his cardio. And realistically, and, and I, it's really been since him that a lot of fighters started doing it. Really, a lot of the guys out of AKA, that's what they really banked it off of, was learning how to weaponize their conditioning and their cardio. We weren't always all the best technicians. You know, there was a lot of better fighters out there than us. We just learned how to grind a little bit harder with the guys that came from wrestling backgrounds, understanding how important it was to be a good wrestler. Danny Sabatello has not lost that focus of, hey, I'm going to weaponize my conditioning and my cardio, and that's going to put Rafael Stotts in a bad position as this fight goes on. Because if you look at the fight with uh, Juan Archuleta, even though he got the finish, he was kind of fighting from behind. And he was getting a little, he was getting a little frustrated because Juan was landing some good shots. Rafael Stotts has got, he's got great stand-up. He's really uh, athletic. He puts the combinations together well. But as he started to get slow, as he started to slow down against Juan Archuleta, he was missing his punches. He was only throwing ones and twos. It, w- it wasn't the combinations that he got used to. So if Danny gets those takedowns early and Danny starts weaponizing his cardio in the later rounds, I could start seeing this fight change. And how will Stotts react and how will he change his game plan as the fight goes on? This is, this is a really, to me, it really comes down to how much trash talk did they put together during this and if it's not going their way well mentally will it frustrate them and will they change their game plan when it's not going their way how do they make the adjustments in between rounds uh when do you think well i'm very curious about this it's not the fighter necessarily when in this fight 
do you think we start seeing that separation between the person who's more mentally prepared? Do you think it's before the championship rounds, about when the championship rounds start? What would be your guess? When when we see that, I mean, that I, separation? I, 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 honestly, I honestly believe it's probably going to be towards the end of the second. It's going to start being towards the end of the second because if if Danny can't get him down by the end of the first, he'll, he'll still be trying to get him down in the second. But then Rafael's going to be able to start touching him and touching him and touching him. And then will Dan, how will Danny set up his takedowns if he's not able to get in deep enough on the takedowns to get, the, to get, to get him down? Uh, and if Danny starts getting the takedowns easier in the first two rounds, you're going to see thoughts, start, I think, start to wilt a little bit. I'm not saying that he's going to break. I'm saying that he's going to start having to make adjustments between rounds. So if, um, to answer your question, I would say probably towards the end of the second, you know, you're going to kind of start seeing adjustments having to be made to fix the problems that they're having right there. Uh, speaking, of course, to Josh, the Punk Thompson about Bellator going down tomorrow night. Liz Carmouche, Juliana Velasquez, uh, of course, a rematch. Juliana Velasquez was the champ at 125, lost to Liz Carmouche. A lot of people didn't like the stoppage. Three seconds left to go in round four. How much of this is? And, and, and what I want to take you back to is I was talking to um, Anthony Smith, our own Anthony Smith, about um, John Jones – and it was one of those fights where when you when when you see the career of a fighter being in this position, right, in this position of coming uh, uh, after a loss, they don't believe they should have lost. There's a little bit of chip on their shoulder. The Dominic Reyes fight, when Dominic Reyes, I, I thought beat John Jones. A lot of people thought he beat John Jones. And he was going to fight Jan Blahovic. And I asked Anthony Smith about that fight, and he goes, he's got to let this. I'm the uncrowned champion. I should have beat John Jones. He's got to let that go and worry about Jan Blavich. He's going to get knocked out. When is the last fight? Of course, this is a rematch. Same opponent. How much is the loss a motivator? And how much, if you're coaching her, do you say, hey, new fight. Let all that baggage go. Don't worry about bad stoppage. I should still be champion. How much do you let it go? How much do you use it as motivation if you're Juliana Velasquez? So Juliana Velasquez, right? Everything for her is she was winning that first fight. I had her winning the first fight. It was close, but I had her winning. The rounds were kind of close. She should have. She understands that she needs to be a little bit more aggressive, but still fight conservatively because she can't extend over. She can't overextend too much, otherwise the takedowns will come easier. She, I think, she also understands that Liz is a lot better on the ground than she anticipated. And I don't think she thought that. She, I don't think that she thought that Liz was gonna be able to hold her down. So she was going to be able to pop right back up. And when that didn't happen, the reality set in. I think Juliana went back to the drawing board and worked a lot on her jiu-jitsu, worked a lot on her judo. And you're going to see her come a little bit more aggressively with the striking because when she landed the shots, they had an effect on Liz Carmouche. When Liz landed on her, they had no effect. And so I think you're going to see a very motivated Juliana Velasquez, understanding that, sure, the fight was stopped early, I think we can all kind of agree to that. It was We thought it was all a bad stoppage, especially when you're talking a champion who's undefeated, who will deal through, has dealt through some adversity before and been able to come out on top. That's a really tough uh, area to, that's a really tough thing to swallow if you're the champion, the former champion. But she does need to let that thing go and come out and perform to the her highest. Now, whereas with Liz, she also needs to, bury what happened and just come out and do exactly what she did in the first fight, but do it a little bit more prominently. Like she was getting peace a little bit on the feet. She understands now once this fight hits the ground, I have the distinct advantage over her. So I need to fo focus on getting it there. 
But in interviewing her, she's made it very clear that I'm going to stand. I'm going to try to fight her like I fought uh, Watanabe. That, look, if you land the big shots, great. But don't go out there and fight reckless, though, because – and I know you. I know she's fought the who's who in the sport, but you've got to still fight because Juliana Velasquez, you got to fight smart because Juliana Velasquez is a dog. And I mean that in a very positive way. She is someone that will beat your butt. So this is a this is one of those fights that both of them need to temper down their emotions because of what happened, and they need to come back and focus on the game plan at hand and stay laser focused. Because the other one, and we saw in the last fight, it only takes one takedown and one slip of a position to can end the fight. Uh, speaking, of course, to Josh, the Punk Thompson about Bellator 289 Stotts versus Sabatello, Mohegan Sun Rita, Uncasville, Connecticut. That's right, it's tomorrow night. Magomed Magomedov versus Patchy Mix. This is a fight that is unfortunately under a lot of people's radar. <sighs> These guys incredibly, t- you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe it's the mouth of, of, of Danny Sabatello oh, and, and Rafael Stotts. But the other side of this bracket, absolutely incredible. What do you think about this fight? What do you think the little X-factor differences might be? It, the, this this fight right here, like you, I agree with you 100%. I've said it a couple times in some interviews already. It's flying under the radar because the two talking mouthpieces, you know, Sabatello and, and Stotts, have just gotten all the coverage, and they brought it. They deserve it. They've, they've done it. Um, but this this really is that fight that when you are someone like a nerd like myself. I know you're a nerd too, Jimmy. Don't try total to pretend dork. like you're not. Total dork. You're yeah. total yeah. dork when it comes to this stuff. Well, I'm a nerd. You're a nerd. We love this game so much. Stylistically, this is such a fun fight because you got Patchy Mix, who's tall, long, lanky. He's got the ability to press Magomed to the fence. Magomed's not a big guy. He's not a big 135 pounder. He doesn't cut a lot of weight. He's tall, long, and lanky. He's normally probably the taller fighter. In this situation, he is not going to be the taller fighter. He'll probably be able to get in on the legs, but that's exactly where Patchy Mix wants him to do. I just I look at this and I'm like, does Magomed keep it on the feet, sprawl and brawl? But then if he does, then what does he do? Spinning back kicks, spinning elbows. Like if you come up short on those, you're giving your back to the guy who's the most dangerous grappler in the game right now, especially at 135 pounds. I just don't know how you fight this fight if you're Magomed Magomedov because his stand-up is very unorthodox. He, does, he doesn't throw the clean, crisp, one-two, you know, body shots, and then they come back up with the boxing, and then finish with the leg kick. He doesn't do that. He throws the hard straight right. Then he comes back, he throws the inside leg kick, come back with the right, right hand, left hook. He doesn't throw, and he throws a spinning kick off of, out of nowhere and can catch you off guard. This is, this is just fun, Jimmy. This is a really fun fight, man. And I think, I think Patchy Mix, to be honest, he learned a lot from that Juan Archuleta fight and how to con- temper his emotions, how to temper his, his, his attitude and, and how to control his, um, his cardio while he's in there. And he showed that against Horiguchi. He's got to be, he's got to fight very smart against um, Magomed because Magomed can capitalize at any moment as we saw against Barzola on the arm and guillotine. I look at this, they're both dangerous in grappling. They're both good on the feet. I give the advantage a little bit more to Magomed on the feet, but I give the grappling edge, obviously, to Patchy Mix. The wrestling's going to go to Magomed Magomedov, but does he want to go to the ground? Jimmy, what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the difficult part. But Magomed, also a great neck hunter. And and one of the things about yeah. being a neck hunter is it's hard to stop a takedown while you're searching for a submission over the top. And I think he's going to have to make a lot of those decisions on the fly, right? Like, am I going over the top to try and choke this guy? Am I going underneath to try and fight it? You can only do one. That's what I always teach you to do. You can either stop the takedown or you can submit the guy. You can't do both. And the decision you make can define a fight. And that could be the definition. And if you, of if you go, if you, if he goes army and guillotine or he goes guillotine and neck cutting on that, right? He jumps guard like he did against Barzola. Now you're on bottom if you don't get it. And now you're like, oh man, now I'm on bottom with one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous guy in the world in MMA. I mean, just nasty. Just, and those are, like you said, choices he has to make on the fly. Here's a question I want to ask you. And the reason I'm asking you, and this is a general question that I've been dealing with on my show a lot. Um, I remember getting Razor Rob McCullough ready to fight you in 2000, end of 2000, 2002, something like that. And yeah. I remember the scouting report was, man, this guy Josh Thompson out of AKA pushes himself so hard that you, you were known for a guy who pushed it so hard that you were almost always dealing with an injury or pain of some kind. Yeah. And that was early yeah. on, 2002, bro. And I remember people going, dude, the guy just goes too hard. And, you know, up in San Jose, those guys, you know. So this whole thing that's kind of a, 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 a constant thing in MMA that we're getting right now is TJ Dillashaw, his shoulder popped out 20 times in camp, went out there completely compromised. Um, obviously, the Derek Minner incident, now James Krause in a lot of trouble for apparently letting people know his fighter was hurt. What's your thought on – I say our sport, I think – we romanticize fighters fighting injured. Like, it doesn't function. I'm going out there anyway because I'm a warrior. Other sports don't really do that. Now that you have tens of millions of dollars being gambled on this sport and someone, we have to know that people are okay getting in there, but it can't be up to the fighters because they'll always want to fight. You as a guy who pushed yourself so hard in the gym, what are your thoughts on this and, and whose responsibility it might ultimately end up being when a fighter's compromised? Should it be the coaches, the the commissions, the the promotion? What are your thoughts, man? I'm very very curious about that. You're a smart guy. Um, I, I think that in that situation, right, you have to understand, I think with TJ, is it so compromised that you're not going to be able to perform? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I fought I fought um, Gilbert Melendez the third fight. Yeah. And I tore my PCL the, the week before with Gray Maynard. We were, we were throwing kicks and he threw a kick and, and I checked it and it just tore my PCL. So my knee was doing this forward and back. But I also realized... I couldn't check kicks. That's why in that fight, I switched my stance a lot in that fight because I, I wanted to throw him off and make sure that it – and he had heard that I had tore it, and he came out throwing kicks right away. Um, but I also knew that – look, the, the objective for me anyways was to sprawl and brawl and keep it on the feet. And so – and I, I was going to minimize how many kicks that I threw anyways because because he was catching my – so it really came down to game planning. But in this situation with the shoulder popping out 20 times – you know that you're not going to be able to get through the fight. I, it was a little bit of a betrayal, I think, to the fans. That I really said con job. I used yeah. the word con job. The con yeah. that, That's literally how I feel about it. Yeah. Because in that scenario, in that situation, let's be honest, the UFC actually does something that none of the other promotions do. They offer you a one-time, not a one-time, but it's a one-time deductible, I think, of 1500 bucks. Maybe it's gone up since then. But for any training injury or any injury period that you can use their insurance. And I, I've used it. I used it before. So even if that thing was done, he could have went and used the surgery. He didn't need to use some fighters don't have insurance. That's why I bring this up. 
some fighters don't have insurance, and then they wait to get to the fight so then they can use the fight insurance to cover whatever injuries they had. That I understand that part. But in this situation, that's not that's not the case. TJ has that one-time insurance, $1,500, that he can use the deductible. He has to pay the deductible. He can do any surgery, and they cover the rest 100%. So that wasn't it. It was literally, like you said, a little bit of a con job. And I like TJ Dillashaw a lot. I like him a lot. I think he's a fantastic fighter. I think a lot of this, um, this was a really bad decision on his part. A really bad decision on his part. It's sad because fans that love him probably don't like him as much anymore. Because they feel, but they feel like you said, con. They feel con. They bought tickets probably to go watch him fight, and that's what they got. I and those tickets are not cheap, my friend. Those tickets are not cheap. But what also, <clears throat> also though, I'm gonna blame a little bit of the coaches. You knew going into this. I'm gonna blame the manager a little bit. I like, I like his manager. I like him a lot. But you guys knew, <clears throat> and you guys allowed this. If, if, I'm, if I'm the manager or if I'm a promoter, I'm going to the manager going, hey, I don't know if I can trust what you're doing now in this situation. And I like his manager a lot. We're good friends. I, li- I like him a lot. Um, I just think in this situation, you got to look out more for not just the promoter, but you got to look out for the fighter. You got to look out for the people, the people that are spending their hard-earned dollars, especially these days with how expensive everything is getting. They spent a lot of money on their tickets to go watch him fight. And that's what happened. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that to the fans. You, they deserve better. Josh, always a pleasure talking to you. Have a great time at the Mohegan Sun calling this fight tomorrow night on Showtime. Appreciate your time, Punk. Thank you, brother. Always, I love talking to you, and I hope you continue to have me on every damn show. I will. <laughs> Later, Josh the Punk Thompson. No. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Well, Angie got the party started in the future prelim, looking absolutely dominant against Emily Ducote. And then just a couple fights later, our boy Eric Anders put on one of his most dominant performances in recent memory against Kyle Dawkins in the second round TKO. Joining us now, your boy, Eric Anders. How you doing, bud? Man, what's going on? What's up, man? Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, not hyperbole. That's some of the best. That's one of the best performances I've seen. That I've seen every single one of your UFC fights, and that's one of the most impressive um, how would you grade it? Um, probably a seven. You know, it's cool that I got the finish <laughs> and all, but uh, to be honest, like when he was on his back, man, I probably should just like step back, let him up, and then might finish him on the feet. It would have been a lot faster and you know a lot less. Uh, and I kind of hurt my hand with those, you know, hammer fists on the mm-hmm. ground. You know, I sent his elbow and his forearm and stuff a lot. So yeah, I probably could have made it a little bit easier on myself. I'd have just you know backed up and let him up. I'll give it an eight, though. I'm not going to be like a tough guy. I know. I'm like, stop being so hard on yourself. <laughs> stop it. Uh, you looked great, man. It was it was really cool to see the adjustments that you made in the first round. Uh, it looked like he was kind of trying to pressure a little bit, and then you started slipping to the outside, landing things, landing sneaky things as he tried to attack. And, yeah, it, the power was so much different on your side uh, that like kind of leap in one, two that you're able to throw on the inside of his punches. Like 
it was real nasty. Is that something that you guys worked on for this camp? Um, man, to be honest, like I just wanted to be fast. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? When like when sometimes like with me, especially if I try to throw hard, it's like slow. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to like not try to like uh, hit so hard, but hit more, be faster and like more accurate. And I think that's uh, I think if you hit in the right spot, it's better than actually having power. You know what I mean? Like you just, like mm-hmm. touch like the tip of the chin or, you know, anywhere in this little muzzle area. Uh, that's what does the most damage, I think. So you know, I was just like aiming uh, a little bit better. Nice. So obviously he's uh, you know a pretty good, pretty good grappler. Um, but you didn't have any issue when you had him hurt getting on top. You were saying like, oh, I should have let him up, kept it there, blah blah blah. Was just avoiding the ground game the the main component here, or were you comfortable rolling around with him? Dude, I'm I'm comfortable at like, rolling around, but you know he's like a scrambly long guy. Yeah. You know, and, you know, those guys, they can, like, grab submissions and uh, chokes and stuff from, like, weird positions, not traditional positions. And, you know, I just remember watching his fight with Brandon Allen. And Brandon Allen's a good scrambly grappler, too. And, uh, you know, just rolling around, like, he was able to reverse Brandon Allen. And, and I just didn't want to do all that. You know what I mean? So I thought the easiest path to victory was to keep it on the feet. And even when he was on his back, you know, I just, in my head, I was like, man, I'm stealing time. Like, I'm winning. Uh, if he's on his back and I'm standing over him, I'm c- clearly controlling the fight. So, yeah. you know, just kind of, like, be more patient. You know, the old me would, like, maybe dove on top of him and then I were wrestling. You know, he wasn't ready to go yet. You know, I had to cook him a little bit. So that was your your 15th UFC fight. You're a full-on seasoned UFC veteran at this point. And when you when you first came in, you're like, okay, like obviously he's an athlete, still a little raw. He's gonna start developing. How what what do you think you've developed the most? Like what have you gotten so like the best at in the last 15 fights fighting at the highest level? Um, I think like patience and like trying to control the fight. Like if you watch my early UFC fights, they're like wild, chaotic. Um, running around like you know um, but now it's more like like stalking and like picking my shots you know what I mean yep. and uh, I think like in the middle of my career like uh, I wanted things to, like be pretty you know what I mean I wanted to like uh, not just be so wild you know what I mean make it actually look like I knew what I was doing but mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that for me you know what I mean I have to go in there and just you know apply pressure and, and you know be a bully so to speak sure you um at the end of your fight, you said it was it was um it was a heavy week for you or it was a heavy camp for you. Um, how are you feeling now? Now that you're looking back on all that, you know, when it solves everything, you get two checks. <laughs> you check that account on Tuesday. You go, all right, everything is <laughs> right with the world. You know what right? I mean? So yeah, you know, like uh, like I said, when it solves everything. So you know, I'm smiling a little bit more, happier, and then now I'm like home with my kids, so it's like even better. Nice. You see what it was all for. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, kind of helps it out. I, I felt the same way when I looked at my dog when I got home. <laughs> <laughs> same exact way you must have I, felt. No. I was going to say, Eric, do you need to tell <laughs> her it's not the same thing or should I? <laughs> well, I, I leave. Like, I go across the country for two months at a time. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. So, yeah, so I haven't seen I came home like a weekend, like in the middle of camp and then came back. So I've only seen him. Uh, before, you know, I got home on Sunday, I've only seen him once in 10 weeks, you know, outside, you know, through, through the screen of a phone. And uh, it's just different when you can, like, touch them, feel them, smell them. And, you know, even though I got two 
boys 13 and 11 and they stink but you know you kind of oh. enjoy the, their mustiness uh yeah. you haven't seen it for so long you know what i mean i can't even imagine that's that's a big sacrifice to make is that something that you always do for camps or is it something that you just started doing um about the past two years my last okay. four fights uh i live in alabama and birmingham and then i go to arizona um for like the past four fights so you know but when you win it like it, it validates everything that you did you know what i mean right. yeah so it like it really really sucks when you lose and you did all that but it, you know flip side of the coin it, it makes it feel worth it uh when you go out there and win yeah for sure i, I had a similar feeling because i switched camps maybe a couple years ago and when you lose it makes it look like oh you fucked up you know but then yeah yeah when it finally when you start finally start putting the wins together then it makes it all seem like okay i'm glad i stayed the course um is it, it's it's probably feeling really good to bounce back after that last one um, what are your goals for the next fight? If you have any, or are you just going to chill and enjoy the wind for a while? Enjoy the holidays. Man, I'm trying, I'm trying to get, get in next week, you know, uh, <laughs> these fights have, oh, have yeah. been, you know, often like, you know, people fall out or whatever, you know, the unfortunate circumstance, but, you know, I'm keeping my weight low, staying in shape and, you know, hopefully they, uh, give me the green light to go fight next week so that's what, uh, hoping for. but if not then i'm gonna be worthless the rest of the year i'm not gonna do anything but, <laughs> but eat and drink and have enjoy myself be yeah holidays, you earned it yeah like that's <laughs> these are like the like the late november early december are like the perfect fight cards for fighters because you're like all right i i, I get my holidays right like i get yeah. my, my big paycheck christmas is going to be awesome take you know the rest of december off new year's and get back at it um does the, uh, do you, are your, your boys are old enough now, obviously to kind of like get what's going on with everything. Are they like rooting for victories? Cause they've got like a Christmas present in mind. They're like, <laughs> all right, dad needs that win bonus. Cause I really, really want this. Oh um, man. I think they just want me to be successful. Like they're, they're bought oh, in. Good. I've been doing this since they were born. And, uh, it's just kind of all they know is their dad is a fighter. You know what I mean? So, uh, they're bought in. They, they, they appreciate my sacrifices and stuff. And, yeah, they're cool about it. Sounds like they're way better than I was at 11 and 13. <laughs> way more well-behaved than I was. No, they're not. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, 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 not. they're not. Especially when I'm gone because, you know, the father figure is not there, so they kind of oh, no, run they up act mom up. a little bit. You know what I oh, mean? No. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> but then whenever I come back, you know, it's, uh, they get back in line pretty quick. <laughs> not the same message across uh, FaceTime, you know what I'm saying? When you're, when you're, when you're but there's like no threat, out. you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I spank my kids, you know, so they, they know what's up, you know oh, what I mean? How dare so, you? When, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I, I was hesitating to say that. I was like, oh, dude, like, I think he's abusing his kids, but it's not like that, you know what I mean? Like, I'm dead, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. got to. My job. Yeah. 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 People <laughs> feel very strongly about spanking kids, and it's like, because my so daughter's crazy. only my daughter's only three, and if I just give her a mean look, she's immediately in tears. I'm like, all right, I'm never gonna have to spank her. Never gonna have to. <laughs> that's that's the difference. I got two two boys. Yeah. So like, I don't know if I think if I had a girl, like I don't know. I think I probably had to retire from fighting because I would just lose all my toughness. <laughs> and I'd be like, so often. Yeah. Then they're doing 
tea parties and whatnot. So, you know, I'm lucky that, you know, I got my boys. So, yeah. Yeah. Mom would have to be the disciplinarian then. Like, she would. She would have, <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, well, real quick Alabama uh, went 10 and 2 this season, which is twice as many losses as we're new, used to seeing, right? They got Kansas State mm-hmm. in the Sugar Bowl. So, still, still a big bowl game, right? Still, uh, you know, number one in the SEC West, but, you know, two losses. What do you, what do you make of this whole season of your Crimson Tide? Um, man, I, I think like not even necessarily just Alabama, but college football as a whole, like the level of plays gotten pretty sloppy hmm. because with these, uh, what is this shit called? Transfer uh, portal. The and transfer quarter and the, where they can get paid now. Yeah. So now like coaches can't discipline them, yell at them, punish them for a missing class or, you know, doing whatever because these kids, they just get mad and they're spoiled. You know, they got money in their pocket. You know, some of these schools, they pay them. Like Texas, University of Texas, I think they get like $150,000 for being on the team. That's a lot of money, dude, you know? (laughs) So uh, if Coach Saban pisses me off, I'll just go to Texas. You know, they recruited me anyways, but, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then now, the dude, there's like 10 kids from Alabama transferring out. So I think – like the level of play uh, isn't so good. And you can see that, like, especially with Alabama, because they're a big thing. They've always been a disciplined football team, no penalties. But, you know, there's been two or three games this year where they've had like 17 plus penalties. Sure. You know, even if those are all 10 yard penalties, that's 170 yards. That's a touchdown and a field goal. You know, I mean, that's 10 points that you just gave the other team. So, you know, it's hard to win when, you know, you, you're being penalized every play of the game. So, you know, I just think that, like, the, the discipline has, has fallen off uh, across the whole college football landscape. College football players are like your boys when you're off a of training camp. They get undisciplined. That's not there. Yeah, like, man, down. But, <laughs> yeah it, and there's no one there to, like, Coach Saban, like, he can't even do anything for real because if I piss off this five-star, he's just going to bounce and go to some other school. You know, and there's no penalty for transfer. It used to be uh, you have to sit out a year. So it made a, you know, a player like more hesitant to just, you know, whatever to transfer. Mm. But now he can transfer to, you know, Auburn or wherever. Mm. And now you got to play against this kid who, you know, is a good player. He just, you know, whatever. He's not, you know, disciplined or whatever. So, you know, his hands are kind of tied in that regard. Yeah. There's not one school in America that wouldn't take disgruntled Alabama players. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly. <laughs> so you know, you know, every one of these boys are getting like text messages all the time from their buddies in other schools. They just come here. But the thing is, like, have no reason to be disgruntled. Yeah, okay, so what? You got cussed out. You know, when I play, like, you, like losing a year of eligibility, man, that might cost you your career. That might, you know, cost you your opportunity to go to the NFL. You know what I mean? So people are more hesitant to, to transfer. So the only time I think it's cool to transfer is like maybe your coach get fired and you like you fit his scheme and now they bring in another coach and you're just not the kind of athlete that he needs for that scheme. So now I'm not going to play because, you know, I don't fit the scheme, whatever. Okay, then, you know, go find another home. But just because you got yelled at or, you know, you lost a little bit of playing time, I don't think, you know, that the whole purpose of sports for me growing up, like was like it's still discipline, you know, to make you sure. a better person, a better man, a better human being. But now these kids are like, you know, they're sissies. They're, oh, man, Coach yelled at me. I'm going to leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. What? We need Coach Saban to bring you in for a pep talk. 
know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tell these guys what's up. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> well, you're busy. You, you, what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, well, you got your hands full with this uh, with the UFC middleweight division. Congratulations again on a fantastic win in Orlando. Again, not hyperbole. That was some of the most impressive stuff I've seen out of you, Eric, in a very long time. Whatever you're doing, it's clearly working. Uh, have a great holiday and hope to see you again soon. Hey, my pleasure, brother. Thank you. Thanks. See ya. Hey, congratulations again, Angie. Thanks, you too. Yeah, you guys have a good one. Enjoy you your too. holiday. You, you too. too. Eric Anders here on MMA Today. MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156, and on the SXM app. Serious XM Podcasts.